As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. And then there were two. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger, who's at home in Vegas, and Mike Russo, who is at home in Minnesota. How are we, boys? Good. Good. Excited Excited for the Stanley Cup final. I can tell. You guys are just, just jacked up. But it's <laughs> funny because we've got a few days now before, you know, it actually gets underway. And I wanted to quickly ask you this before we get to, to previewing the series and our guests and everything else. What the hell do you do when you've got a few days like this? Do you, do you still immerse yourself in hockey or do you have like you catch up on shows and stuff? Jesse, I personally have like 17 feature stories that have to be published before Nick. the series starts. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been awesome covering this cup run. It's a lot of fun. There's so many good hockey games happening, so many good stories to tell, but it is a grind. Um, I am just there's there's seven more games left trying to put put out as much good content as I can and currently booking um, trip flights to Mexico for like the moment it all ends. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, but yeah, the, the, these l- few days right here are beautiful in terms of giving me time to not cover games and letting me write these feature stories, these like personal kind of stories that those are my favorite ones to write. So um, I love this time right here that I can, I can kind of just dedicate to those and, and then get back to the hockey here in a few days. Yeah, and for me, I'm I'm sort of the same way. I've become our de facto Florida Panthers beat writer since uh, we don't have one. And obviously, I covered the Panthers for 10 years. So this has been a hoot being down there and spending some extra time down there. Gathered a bunch of stories for this week, and then I'll head out to Vegas Thursday night to help Jesse and uh, Pierre Lebrun's joining us as well. And so we'll have the full coverage at the Athletic throughout the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Jesse, obviously, uh, wall-to-wall Vegas coverage, uh, myself, uh, Panthers coverage, and, um, and Pierre in between. So it'll be fun. All right, let's get to it, guys. want to let everybody know we have two guests on the show today. Russo was able to uh, 
get Florida head coach Paul Maurice. You, you talked to him for a few minutes. We're going to play that tape. And also Devin Dubnik, former NHL goaltender, and of course now with the NHL Network. Going to talk a little goaltending, which is always going to make one of us very, very happy. Yes. And one of us is Jesse Granger. Yes, absolutely. Okay, boys, Florida and Vegas. One of these two teams is going to win the Stanley Cup for the first time. One of these two coaches is going to win the Stanley Cup for the first time. And both team and coach have been to a Stanley Cup final before. So this is another chance for them. Let's start in Jesse's backyard, Golden Knights. What's what's what are you looking for uh going into this series? Is there a storyline that really intrigues you? A storyline that really uh is at top of mind for you? I mean, in terms of storyline, it's Jack Eichel. I mean, this guy, what a change in narrative for the career arc of Jack Eichel. Like he's eight years yeah. into his career. This isn't he's not he's not like a rookie or or a second or third year guy. And he's getting to play his first playoffs. And this this guy has been so good for his entire career, but yet has had to deal with the you can't win with a guy like that. Like, yeah, he's he scores a lot of goals, but he has never won a playoff game. He's never been to the playoffs. So many unfair criticisms to Jack Eichel. He, he comes to Vegas. They have all these injuries. They miss the playoffs in his first year. And of course, it gets lumped onto him. See, see what happens. You trade for Jack <laughs> Eichel. He finally is on a talented team. He gets to the playoffs, his first ever playoffs. Everyone talks about how different the 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 game is in the playoffs and how you've got to adjust to it. He's been brilliant, just spectacular for this team. He didn't score a goal against Dallas, and he was probably the best player on the ice every night. He is back-checking better than any player on the ice. He His defensive game is so good. The way he transports the puck from from defensive zone to offensive zone is better than anyone I've seen in these playoffs. He is just he's brilliant. And the fact that if like to me, the storyline is how does he play in this cup final? It's going to be a tough matchup. It, it It's supposed to get harder as it goes on. It certainly will. But to me, in terms of the storylines, like if, if you're asking me like what where this series is going to be won, I think it's in front of the Vegas net. If Florida can get there, they're probably going to win. If if Vegas holds them out like they have everyone else, they're probably going to win. But in terms of storylines, it's all about Jack Eichel for me. Yeah, and uh, that that will be – I mean, that is Florida's MO is getting to the net. I mean, you know, uh, Paul Maurice talks about it all the time, how, you know, Kachuk has all these different things in his system, and then next thing you know, he's at the net. Um, and Bennett's at the net, and they that's the way that they play this game. They're a hard-checking, grinding uh, player. It is amazing, to Jesse's point, the change in narrative and – in Eichel. And I remember telling you guys when I was at the NHL, I think it was our, it was actually like our first or second show uh, that I, that I, that I was on the athletic hockey show uh, on Wednesdays where I was out at the NHL media um, out in Vegas. And I told Jesse, I'm like the one player of all the players that totally changed my impression of him was how good it was to deal with, with Eichel. Um, He was so cool to deal with. And I remember when the pan- when the Wild were going after Eichel as well, there were so many times Marcus Foligno told me, this guy gets a bad rap. He's a great guy, great player. Don't believe all the crap that you hear about him. And clearly he's gone there and shows it. But this Florida team, if Bob is the, the Bob that we've seen, um, they're going to win the cup. If he's not, I think that Vegas has uh, all the ability to to win this thing. Vegas has impressed me throughout the playoffs in their ability to respond to bad losses. You know, Edmonton beats them 5-1 in game two. They go to Edmonton and win two in a, uh, win, win that first game. Huge response. Um, they lose game four and they come home, have a big win, and then go win game six. And the same thing. It looks like Vegas is melting down, lose two games in a row with Jamie Benn, by the way, not in the lineup. How strange is that? Um, and uh, next thing you know, you know, you're thinking like, oh my God, they're going to absolutely choke the series away. And what do they do? They go out and spank them 6-0 in, in game six. This Vegas team, they're resilient, man. And if I were me, I, I well, I know it was if it were me because I predicted it. I, I still think Vegas wins in six. But this Florida team has defied odds all postseason long. Only, only t- second team in NHL history beyond Tampa Bay that has beaten 350 win, 110-point uh, teams and and they to 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 doubt them is do it at your own peril. Are we at a point right now where Sergei Bobrovsky could win the Smythe Trophy in a losing cause, Jesse? I don't think so. Um, I don't no? think I I don't think so. I mean, because if he loses in this, like I don't think he's at a point where a bad series, like he he'd have to be brilliant 
and lose. Like he, he'd have to, they'd have to lose all every game that they lost two to one. And he had 38 saves, 40 saves. Like, and I just don't think that's going to happen. The golden Knights yeah. aren't a volume shooting team. Um, they like, the Golden Knights under Pete DeBoer were a volume shooting team. They'd put up 45 shots a game and maybe score twice. Under Bruce Cassidy, they've played differently. They only get 25 shots a game and they score on four of them. So your stats are awful. Look at the goalies they've played. Like Connor Hellebuck in the first round, his stats were horrendous against the Golden Knights. Um, Skinner, awful. You could argue whether he's an elite goalie or not, but awful. And then Jake Ottinger has the worst series playoff series of his career up to this point he's been brilliant in the playoffs and and i think it's because the golden knights the way they attack is not with volume scoring it's they only get a limited number of chances but they're a two-on-one that's a one-timer on the back door like that you can't stop so i think Bobrovsky, if he's good they're probably like like mike said they're probably going to win the series and he'll probably win con Smythe. if he's not if, if the golden knights win i don't see a way that Bobrovsky looks good enough to win the con Smythe. And to Jesse's point, if the Golden Knights win, one of their contenders, whether it's Carlson, Marcheseau, or Eichel, are going to just erupt, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I mean, to me, if you're going to pick a Vegas player, Eichel is by far the front runner. Um, But, man, William Carlson, uh, 10 goals for a checking center now. I mean, come on. And uh, and Marcheseau is just – that guy – He's long been one of my favorite players in the league. All he does is score. And I think, you know, he's one of those people that if you – you give him a little spur in the ass. He, he's motivated, and for him to play Florida right now, I yeah. think <laughs> I think yeah, we're going to see the best of Jonathan Marshall. Yep. So this series, Le- leave me unprotected, huh? Yeah. After right. I score thirty goals with you guys, uh, well, I think he's. I was going to bring up Marshall. So I think he's got the mo- more motivation almost than any. And there's a few players, former players, but I mean, you, you look at him. Like I said. Uh, 30 goals and you get left unprotected. You certainly want to uh, to get back at them for that. But we'll obviously break this down. It doesn't kick off till Saturday. Uh, but we're going to hear from Russo and his interview with Paul Maurice in a second. But I do want to get to a couple other things before we go, guys, because we have been seeing a little bit of musical chairs when it comes to coaches and GMs. Uh, and this one we had at the bottom of our page. Now we put it up to the top because according to Elliot Friedman, um, this is going to be wrapped up today and a media conference will be tomorrow. Uh, and that is that the Maple Leafs have found their man to be their new general manager, Brad Tree Living. Uh, all signs point to him taking over the reins. Thoughts on this one, guys, and, and a GM who's <laughs> boy, does he ever have to hit the ground running, doesn't he, Russo? Yeah, he's going to have uh, one. You got the draft coming up, but he's got major, major contract negotiations that he's going to have to do in terms of extensions with Nylander and, and Austin Matthews. Um, but and then you got to decide on what the core is. I'm Coach. sure he's had that. Yeah. And yeah, you know, my gut, I still think that Sheldon Keefe stays. Um, I actually, you know, I know that and we'll get to it in a second, but Barry Trotz is getting a lot of heat with the way that they traded, treated John Hines and everything. But the one thing I'll say is that I always find it hilarious that a GM comes in there and they stick with the coach for one year and you know, inevitably that person's going to get fired. I think that is going to happen in Toronto. And I actually give Barry Trotz props if he feels like like that John Hines is not the guy. Just cut the cord now. Don't wait a year and waste it. So that would be my only thing there. But, um, but uh, you know, I think Keith stays. Um, but I'll tell you what, I, I just think that that tree living's the right hire. I know that everybody's, you know, going to uh, look at the Kachuk Hubert trade and some of the moves he lives in Calgary. You need an experienced guy um, that has that has a level blood pressure in that position and that is used to the 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 noise that is that you get in that market. And he experienced it a little bit uh, in Calgary, you know, Calgary's not Toronto, but it's still Canada. And so I, I think it's a great hire uh, by Toronto. I think it was probably the only hire by Toronto it was the obvious hire by Toronto once Dubas left. Um, and now we'll see what happens there, but I think it's a good move by uh, Toronto. Yeah, I totally agree, especially with the last point about the experience. I don't think Toronto is a job for a GM to learn on the job. Like it's, it's very difficult to come in as maybe an assistant GM or someone without experience and take that job, especially with the expectations it is right now. It may be different if the team wasn't talented and, and you were you were coming in for a rebuild, but the expectations on that team are for for the new GM to immediately ch- make changes that work and and get this team deep into the playoffs. So um, there's a lot of pressure. Obviously, the market adds to that pressure. Um, I think an, an experienced GM who's done this and knows how to handle those pressures. I mean, you hear Dubas towards the end, like he, like it was even getting to him and he'd been there for a while. So I, I think 
it's like I agree with Michael. It's the right move, and I think it's the right move because they got someone who who can come in and deal with those pressures immediately, and 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 still perform the job well. All right, Russo mentioned it. The Nashville Predators making a move. Barry Trotz, who I'm, I'm not sure if it, I think he's still considered the incoming GM, but this was his first move as a GM. Um, and more people are talking about how this move came out than the actual move itself. Andrew Brunette hired as their new head coach, which means John Hines was relieved of his duties as head coach. But the news didn't kind of break that way. Um, we don't know when John Hines was told he was fired, but it kind of came out backwards. I don't know, guys. Am I the only one who thinks 2023? How does this happen? How does this, you know, shouldn't number one on your to-do list be at least let the coach know and, and put that out before you start hiring someone? Jesse? I mean, we don't know that he didn't know though, right? Yeah. Like we like it came out True. to us. That's like, what I said. We don't know when when he said it, but I'm saying, shouldn't that be the then your first tweet, your first press release, your first everything should be we have relieved John Hines and then Andrew Burnett. Yeah, I mean, I covered a team that literally did it in the same press conference. They, I mean, sorry, not the same press conference, the same press release. Um, I thought it was a fake press release. I had to like zoom in on the email address and make sure it was actually from the Golden Knights and not somebody trying to punk me because the press release said, Gerard Gallant is no longer the coach and Pete DeBoer is now the new coach. I've never seen it in my life. So like these things happen quickly. I And as long as Heinz knew, like I don't, I'm not really that concerned with the order we found out in, I'm concerned with the order that they found out in. If John Hines found out Andrew Burnett's been hired as the coach before someone told him he's fired, that is bad. And and it and it looks bad on trots. It looks bad on the whole organization. But as long as Hines knew, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, the only thing I'll say is that behind the scenes, my gut says that Barry, who is a classy person, was at least letting John know, like, look, I'm talking to people. And I will say that th- that it started to come out in the last week that he was meeting with people. He he met with the with Spencer, who was just hired in Washington. I know that he met with Andrew Burnett. They were doing this in Nashville, so my gut says that also, you know, you're worried about people seeing you and things like that. Um, and and look, Barry did say at the press conference earlier this year, the, earlier this uh, when he took over, that they were going to evaluate the coach. So, you know, we we got to, you know, uh, frankly, I'm going to try to reach out to John today and see if if we'll talk if he'll talk about what happened. Um, but um, in terms of Bruno, let me let me just transition to that. Um, I love Bruno. I think everybody knows that I covered him here forever, both as a player, as an assistant coach, as a player development guy, and as assistant GM. He is a great, great person. Um, he uh, has a certain uh, uh, mentality in terms of uh, the way that he wants the game played. He is absolutely a player's coach. Um, the players will love him there. He's got a, a hard job ahead of him. Um, this is not Florida that was on the rise that he wound up taking over and and bringing him to a President's Cup. This is a a team that's got a lot of work to do. They've got a lot of veterans, some tough contracts, some um, a lot of kids, some inexperience. It's going to take a while. And as long as Barry Trotz, who remember was a coach there forever, has that same mentality where he's going to work with a coach and let him grow in that position, I think this is a great hire. But they are going to have to give him time, and Barry's going to need time to turn this team into a quality one. And one other coaching change, Spencer Carberry has been named the new head coach of the Washington Capitals, signed him to a four-year deal, uh, spent some time in Toronto as the assistant coach there running their power play, uh, and that was after Peter Laviolette got fired. This one seemed like one of the worst-kept secrets. Not a big shocker here, yeah. right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, shocking getting a four-year deal. Usually that is usually it's three years um, for, for a coach, especially your first job. Um, but he just seemed to be sort of like wherever, like I know Anaheim talked to him, a bunch of teams talked to him. Same thing, Bruno, by the way, Bruno was making the rounds um, because I was just in Florida and Bruno was not in town. He was going, you know, who, and he lives down there. He was doing the rounds of, of meeting with teams. Um, but obviously, uh, Brian McClellan uh, loves this guy, um, you know, right down the road in Hershey, did a great job there. And, um, and we'll see what happens. And the other one, guys, that I'm interested in is Pittsburgh. What's going to happen with Kyle Dubas? Is he going there? Is he not? There's all sorts of conflicting reports. Is Edzo going with him? That's what I'm starting to hear. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. Save it for rapid fire. That's one of yeah. our rapid fire topics. You're all jumping right. ahead I again. Don't read the, the like I read told the you guys. lineup, read yeah, I, the lineup. Thank you, Russo. Um, Anyways, let's move on. Paul Maurice in the Stanley Cup final for the second time in his career. Uh, he's 0 for 1, looking for that Stanley Cup ring. And Russo, who jumped ahead again, had a chance to chat with him. 
Here's that interview, Paul Maurice, with our very own Michael Russo. You essentially, in your mind, retired, right? Yes. Yeah. What, like, I know you talked about it the other day, but what was the thing that drew you to come out of retirement? By far, the big one was the first conversation I had with Bill Zito. And maybe I had some stored up need to have a hockey conversation because I hadn't talked a lot of hockey. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't even the job. It was kind of, this guy's a really interesting guy. Mm-hmm. So we just kept talking. And even to the, my, I'd like to work for this guy. I hadn't really known a coach for him, but I knew they were at that point, they were considering it. Wow, this guy's a really interesting guy. And then we, you know, the first, like, I think we had two longer calls and then I came down. And even with that, I really wasn't coming to interview. Probably about five hours that night at his place. Mm-hmm. Got to meet his family. And then it was 10 hours the next day. We were here all day. And all we did was talk about hockey, what he was trying to do, where he thought his team was. And then would probably, so what's the hook though? He had a really strong understanding of the adversity that they were going to face this year. Mm-hmm. So if he had, if he had said, you know, we had 122 points, we'll probably be pretty close to the same. I thought, well, I'm not sure that's what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys aren't coming back. I can't do anything with the cap here. The expectation is in this market that we're going to continue. This is probably going to be pretty rough. This this might be a sideways year, and we need somebody to handle that for us to to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But I thought, okay, that I can do. Mm-hmm. I, I can, and that's probably one of the uh, components of burnout is a perceived lack of efficacy, mm-hmm. and I had gone through that. I just couldn't move the needle anymore, and it was driving me nuts. And then here I thought, okay, I can move that needle. I, I've, I've done that. I've gone into places where they had to clean a bunch of things up, good mm-hmm. people, but they still, and, and I felt that I could be, I could help here. Yeah. The, um, and when you think about it now, like you, you talked the other day about not having the energy for rebuild, yet there was worry that this could go right. sideways. To be in this position right now, does yeah. it even shock you? And how gratifying is that? It's one of the things that were on the spectrum of things that could happen. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't, you, you still have, like, down the middle, there's Barkoff, Bennett, and Lundell. On that alone, it's not a rebuild. Right. So we took the job before the Tuchuk deal. Mm-hmm. But even with that, you've got Tuberto for Hagee. We know that declares out. Um, at Reinhardt, there's enough there. There's mm-hmm. enough core pieces you're going this just has to be filled out right. and you'll be pretty good. And they're still young. And then Matthew comes and accelerates. So I think. Yeah. So, but the spectrum was we could miss the playoffs this year and partway through the year, it looked like that was probably what was going to happen, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't change what we were going to do. We, mm-hmm. we was kind of like, oh, we got to go through this really hard thing. And then whether it's this year or next year, this has to happen. Like you, you have to learn to play a different game. You have mm-hmm. to learn it close to the playoff game. And I really felt in, in December it, it was starting to happen, but you just couldn't see it because mm-hmm. we scheduled Barkov had pneumonia. Lundell was sick. Gudish was out of our lineup and we were playing hard. Mm-hmm. We couldn't, you know, we, you know, I got a lot of questions about consistency and they got sick and tired and understandably so of me saying there's big chunks of our game. I like, we mm-hmm. just, we can't. Take our top two center, but it's going to be tough in this league. Yeah. Our schedule is fucking brutal. And then it got actually worse in January, but we got a little healthier. And you're going, okay, now all we got to do is get to the playoffs. Because right. we're playing a hard enough game that we can, we can, I don't know if you can win, but you can compete in the playoffs on the game that we were playing in January. Mm-hmm. So that opened up the spectrum of possibility. But I also thought when you hit the Boston Bruins, you may play the best hockey you're capable of playing and still be able to perform. But yeah. you're never that good. But going through that was actually better. But you either win the Stanley Cup or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you need to learn a bunch of shit so that the next year you're mentally a better team. Okay, yeah. This is our game. This is how hard we got to play. This is our compete level. And I thought the Boston series would teach us that. And it did. I just hit down 3-1, wasn't sure that that it was going to be a, a win and we get to keep it for this year. Right. We're keeping the value of that series. We were getting some of that series this year for this year or next year. So we just got kind of the perfect incubator to have something special happen. Yeah. If you can beat them with a game, 
you had to get breaks in that series as well. Mm-hmm. And yet, but then you have to do a whole lot of really hard things to even mm-hmm. give yourself a chance to get those breaks. But I thought that series would teach us what we would need to know for the next five years. Yeah. Can I ask you, um, you won six in a row after that Toronto game, um, which actually coincided with the Keith yeah. Kachuk comments. Funny. But the one thing that happened in that game that I'll never forget is you going crazy on the bench. Yeah, I lost my fucking mind. Yeah. What, what did you say? And do you think, I mean, could that be the turning point? Like they, they didn't, I, I don't, I don't think you necessarily saw it in the game, but the idea would be we had lost four in a row going into that game. And, and I understood it because Sam Bennett went out mm-hmm. and then we lost to Toronto at home badly. And we lost to Philly on back to back nights and, and, and I played the pretty good goal. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we lost to Toronto and we lost to New York badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understood that too. Bennett comes out of our lineup. We just run six. We're pushing really hard. We go into Ottawa. We play an incredible game. But we give up three shorthanded goals. Um, but I loved our fucking game as much as I loved it. It was hard. Mm-hmm. Thank God it was. We got a good team. Yeah. And then we go into Toronto and we fell back into this bullshit game. Mm-hmm. This turn on pucks over. Almost like all the work that we had done to get here in a critical game. And I was just beside myself and let it fly. As Eric Stahl said, I've heard guys lose their mind, but never for that long. Because what they showed was just the tail end of one or the start of it. They never let it rip straight through. It lasted mm-hmm. a while. But in between the second and third period, so this is, this, you guys win this game as a player when at some point the players have to decide that that's the game they're going to play and not mm-hmm. the bullshit that we're playing. You guys cannot, it has to be you. You have mm-hmm. to take this over. We win the game in overtime. And for me, that's when the players took it over. Yeah. The, um, but the, the circumstances was, did you call a timeout or was it after a goal or? No, I challenged. Okay. It was during I, a challenge. Turn the puck over. It was a challenge that I knew we were going to win and, and we had a block of time. Okay. And I worked <laughs> the entire challenge. <laughs> That's hilarious. It was, was it offsides or was it, uh, it was a uh, goalie interference? I don't remember that. Okay. I'm going to say offside. I think. Okay. I'll look I, at, I just I'll look it up. Yep. The other thing watching that video is Matthew Kachuk doesn't take his eyes off you. And I thought that said everything. Other guys are like scared to death. Yeah. And Matthew is staring at you. And it just felt like that was like also his moment. Yeah. Like, I, I think he would have agreed. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be the part of the game. He, he plays a pretty honest, pretty clean game. If he, for a high point producer, you have to have room for those guys to turn the puck over. Mm-hmm. Because if they're going to do it seven out of ten times, yep. something good's going to happen, right? But so he's pretty good about that. He doesn't. Oh, we're fucking turning bucks over, and, and we're trying to make plays, and there was no physicality. It was just bullshit. Mm. And and it was going to. We had worked really, really hard not to play that way. Yeah. And then to see it in that game. Yeah. And I think very probably if I don't do it in five minutes, one of those guys is going to. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a yeah. Kachuk or Radko or somebody's getting up and down the bench. Right. Yeah. Kachuk, have you ever seen anything like this? No. Yeah. No. There's an elite. I shouldn't say that. I've, I, on other teams, I've seen elite guys before. Mm-hmm. They just don't look like him as much. Mm-hmm. Right? His style is unique. He's not the fastest guy on the ice. He has incredible hands. His visual acuity must be phenomenal. The number of pucks he knocks out mm-hmm. of the air. But the big gamedness, I've yeah. seen that before. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and same thing, like I talked to you the other night about Barkov and Ekblad. I mean, this has got, got to be so gratifying for them. Because both of these guys are actually getting better in the mm-hmm. series. We put them, pedestal is not the right word. They're elevated to a certain level because of their talent. They're that mm-hmm. good. And they put up numbers and they're that good. Mm-hmm. But Sasha Barkov, I think he came into this year with 16 playoff games. Mm-hmm. And 10 of them were last year. Yeah. The real learning takes that in the playoffs. Yeah. What you need to do, how the game needs to be played, you learn in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. These guys both have gotten stronger and stronger. They're learning. Yeah. The, um, you know, the, I've like Montour and, and Forsling, especially this year, like everybody always talks about Ekblad and people yes. like that. The two of them have had unbelievable years, and I don't think Correct. a lot. Yeah, like w- what? 
came into them and and Forsling's the one guy that just shocks me because uh I, I remember hearing that he you know, sometimes if you hit him he'd, he'd like, you know, that the the MO on him on Chicago is hit him early and he'll disappear, you know. I think a late bloomer for one put him in the exact same uh bullet as Carter Verhege. They had to fight mm-hmm. so hard to get in the league, they had to work really mm-hmm. hard at the details to be good. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, in some ways our best he's our best defensive skating defenseman. He, mm-hmm. what, what Montour does offensively, he, he takes the same skill set, applies it defensively, so phenomenal swing ins. He mm-hmm. kills so many, many plays. I think I think the partners too have to get a little bit of credit for this. So Forsling had played with Gudish last year mm-hmm. and Weger had played with Ekla. So now Forsling and Ekla, they really complement each other very mm-hmm. well. And then like Mark Stahl. Yeah. As, as I know he scored eighteen goals one year. But in some ways, he's having a career here in terms of consistency. He's been lights out consistent, yeah. which has really allowed Brandon to kind of do his thing too. So their partners, they got they got the right partners. For mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two more for you. Yeah. Um, one, Bob. I mean, you started with Alice Lyon in the playoffs, yep. and you know, and had to go to Bob in a desperate situation. Yep. And man, he has not taken his foot off the gas. Uh, you think uh, we'll ever hear people ripping on his contract again? No, <laughs> so, I mean he's. You know what? So a couple of quiet stories about that. He comes back and he's healthy going into the Washington game, which was our was that our third or fourth last game of the season? Our third last game of the season was Washington. Uh, so second, we went second, well, second no, tr- no Toronto and, and Carolina were the last two. Okay, then we, third. Yeah, third last. last. So he's there. he's yeah. healthy and he's ready to go. And I started Alex in, mm-hmm. and he handled it amazing. He was positive with him. I get it. That tells you something. There and then, when we go into Game Five, you know I, I'd taken Alex out. Bob had gone in. You know, who who are you going to start? Mm-hmm. At that point, it, it, in part, it was about the contract. It was about the pressure that that situation we were in. You know, it was a do or die game for us. We'd also won a game, so we felt like we could, but we needed him to come in and be as good as he was. And he was fucking lights up. Yeah. But the, I, what, for me, it's not the play. Cause this play, certainly I understand what people thought. For me is what he did at the, at the pin, like at the crux of our playoff lives. Mm-hmm. He went in and earned every fucking penny and then some of who he was. Yeah. So he's carrying the weight of that. Like those guys, there's pressure on, on those players to produce. Barkoff as well, and they feel that pressure. Yeah, they also have to be given the opportunity. Yeah. Right? Um, lastly, um, you know, you, I, I was struck by your, your, uh, the, the Panthers put out on social media the other day. This, what you said to the team after the game about how the, these next two weeks, the key to this is that you guys are all going to be together and experience sure. this together. But for you personally, you know, um, to be out of the game. To have to go to Russia, right? Yet you're top five in wins and yep. games coached and all this stuff in league history. How amazing would it be for you to lift that cup? I don't think I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that ending part. Okay, but I will because it, but I can I can actually answer that ending part by not answering it and say this: the perspective I now have is is now becoming the most valuable thing to me. Because I've learned to enjoy the hell out of today. I loved our meeting, our video meeting. Showed some good stuff. We laughed. We went up the ice. <laughs> they worked hard. We laughed. To be part of that environment, and, and not the creator of that environment, but just to be a part of it, I'm allowing myself to enjoy it. So when I say that, like I truly believe it. The best part of this is that feeling The best part of this is all of the moments. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually not the winning. It's all of the moments around it. Getting to have a completely different kind of interaction with your players because they're all in a great mood and yep. you're not squeezing anybody, right? The watching them move around each other, walking through the locker room and hearing ten guys just roaring about something funny that was said. That's wonderful for me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel. It, it, we got a great coaching staff here. We'll work hard. But this is about the players. Mm-hmm. And I get to kind of have this perspective of it now that I never had. 
Big thanks to Paul Maurice, the head coach of the Florida Panthers. Coming up after the break, Devin Dubnik. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, boys, our next guest played over 542 games for six different teams in the NHL. He's now an analyst for the NHL Network. Devin Dubnik joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks for doing this, Devin. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Uh, I was looking it up because I, I couldn't remember the exact date, but it's been less than a year since you officially decided to hang them up and you're doing the broadcasting thing now. So I guess before we get into the playoffs and everything, how's life as a retired goalie slash hockey analyst? How's it been so far? It's good. Yeah, it's uh, it's been longer than that it was the the official retirement came after my uh, random brief stint there in Charlotte when during <laughs> COVID there when I uh, Thought I was going to do some hockey Canada stuff, and it never panned out. So I got another loop uh, in the minors there, which was which was awesome. But uh, <laughs> no, and Char- Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte's such a beautiful city, and the team was incredible. I met some awesome guys, and obviously felt uh, extremely old being there. But uh, it was cool. And then you know, I kind of knew it was the end when sitting in the corner in Hartford, realized I hadn't been there for twelve years. <laughs> it's, and there was about 50 people in the building and the kids beside me were uh, telling me I should get in there and play. And I was like, but if I get in there, my back's going to snap in half right now. So I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And then he, he like, I could, I watched him in the corner Googling me and then he turned around and I was, I was like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 13. And I was like, yeah, I was sitting in this corner when you were being born last time. So I realized it was about time to, call it a day at that point. Doobie, uh, uh, first of all, I got to apologize about a thousand times in print. I've spelled your name D-U-B-Y. Apparently it's D-U-B-E-Y according to your uh, Zoom here. Um, either oh. you misspelled, <laughs> you're misspelling it or I misspelled it uh, a thousand I don't times. Think there's a, I don't think there's an official spelling, so you don't have to <laughs> apologize. Um, you know, but before we get to uh, the Stanley Cup final, I just wanted to ask you about your career here in Minnesota. I mean, obviously you were a, a revelation here. Um, you know, you come here your first year and you save the season. Uh, your numbers were absolutely off the chart, especially on the road, especially in the second of back-to-backs. Um, Vesna, uh, runner-up, uh, win the Masterton, all that stuff. How how much was that an unexpected thing from your standpoint to go from uh, – Staying at, was it the Staybridge Suites in Hamilton to uh, eventually... It was the uh, Staybridge. You got that dialed, yes. Yep, yep. Didn't you almost get sued because of a story I wrote? Yeah, they uh, they weren't impressed. I got a We got a uh, letter from the city of Hamilton after we did a, a story um, where I talked about not, not uh, feeling comfortable going to Tim Hortons because of the bike gangs uh, <laughs> all parked out front in downtown Hamilton at the Staybridge Suites, so... I remember they. Uh, I remember uh, Aaron Sickman coming up to me, uh, who's the the PR guy for the Wild, and telling me he received this letter from from the city of Hamilton and asked if I wanted to do anything about it. And I just laughed. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. I was just telling. I was just telling my story about what happened. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I always said that I believed that I was a starting goalie and. I, I never, I never kind of thought otherwise. Um, you know, when that year happened, I kind of let it go and, and took the pressure off myself a little bit and just said, you know, let's be grateful for being in the best league in the world. And your time might have passed, um, but work your butt off to make sure that you stay in the league and in, w- in whatever capacity that is. If you're a backup goalie, you're a backup goalie, and enjoy 
every 60 minutes you get to get on the ice or 30 minutes or whatever if you're coming off the bench. And and I kind of just took that approach. So when I got traded to Minnesota, I was kind of playing with, with, it was like bonus time for me. And so I never really thought about how crazy it was, everything that was going on and, and, you know, the playing the 38 games in a row and playing all these back-to-backs and, and, you know, the improbability of us making the playoffs, I never, it never crossed my mind. Uh, but once it was there, once I got kind of got a taste for it and, and realized that, that I could do this and I could be a, a starting goalie in the NHL and it kind of, it came back pretty quick that that's exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, could have never, uh, imagined the, the run that it was, but, you know, we've really enjoyed Minnesota. We're still here. Obviously we had two of our kids here. Uh, we've met so many incredible people away from hockey, uh, which is a big part of what kept us here. You know, our neighborhood, our neighbors, people are so nice. Just the, the people in Minnesota in general, when you go to the rink, when you take the kids to, to their sports, uh, everybody is, is so respectful and just, just nice people. And it's just a great place to call home. All right, Devin, I'll jump into the uh, Stanley Cup final, and we got we to gotta start with Sergei Bobrovsky. He's obviously one of the biggest stories, and I want to get your perspective because he's clearly back at the top of his game, and I'm wondering, what do you notice? Like, What do you think he's found that, that has allowed him to get to the top of his game? Because he obviously wasn't there for, for a little while before that. Like, When you watch him play, what stands out to you? So it, it's, it's hard to pinpoint because I would say it's, it's, it's more strange that he wasn't here earlier. Um, you know, he's always been one of my favorite guys to watch play, uh, his explosiveness, his power, his flexibility, everything. Uh, he's always, I've watched him in, in when I was playing, when he was playing in Columbus, uh, down the stretch where he just doesn't look like he's ever going to get scored on regardless of, of the play, which is exactly what it looks like right now. I've seen this before. So it's more, it was more strange to me that, uh, not that it, it took a little bit because sometimes changes happen and, and you're not going to, you know, I think the contract was deserved for, he was the best goalie in the league at the, at the time of the signing. And you're not, you don't always go somewhere and have a magical change and it continues to go. Sometimes there's a little bit of a, uh, growing pains and, and getting used to a new system and, and new life and, and living. There's so many other things that come with playing hockey. That's not just being on the ice. So the biggest surprise to me was that it, it hadn't got to this point yet. Um, and, you know, now they're, they've, they're, they're playing a, a much more structured game, much more defensive game. And that doesn't mean they're not giving things up, but you can just tell he's, he's confident. He knows what's happening in front of him, And he knows, you know, it, it, there's not six different options. There's, there's a shot or there's a pass. And that allows you to be comfortable and sit on that shot and be, and be dialed on that shot. And when you have his capabilities then you're not letting that in. And then if that play comes, you don't, you don't have to worry about four or five other plays. You just know that's the one it's either this or it's this. And that's why you see him making these incredible saves because it's certainly not Florida's playing great defensively. They're blocking a lot of shots, but it's not like they're not giving up chances. It's the, the game today. Chances happen. And some of the saves he's made are, are incredible. And that's where you, is the the confidence uh, on what's going on in front of you allows you to kind of be free and release that skill and ability that he has. And that's kind of what we've seen. It's been fun to watch because it's always, like I said, it's, it's been, it's more strange to me that it hasn't happened before this, than this happening. Now that's happening. Now I'm like, well, yeah, okay. That's what I figured would happen at some point. I just didn't realize it would take this long, but I'm not surprised. Devin, I don't know if you ever listened to our show, but Jesse's our resident goalie guy. He, his biggest skill is he could you you could be talking about like the succession finale, and he'll somehow morph it into a goaltending question. <laughs> um, so I know when when we got you on today, he was pretty excited. But I also have a goaltending question. Uh, it is something I did throw out to Jesse a couple weeks ago, but I wanted your opinion on it too. And it just deals with goaltending tandems because you've got Aiden Hill right now, and because Rousseau is injured, you got Jonathan Quick backing him up. And I'm just wondering how valuable that is for, you know, we're not going to see, uh, barring an injury, probably Jonathan Quick in, in this series. But we're talking about a guy who's been there, done that. We're talking about a guy who's won a Stanley Cup. We're talking about a guy who's, who, who is just a wealth of knowledge in, in, in this subject. How big is that for a starting goaltender to, to be able to have almost like a second goaltending coach who just happens to have a Stanley Cup ring? 
Yeah, it's huge. And it's not, I mean, there's so many, there's so many parts of it that go into that where when you're, you know, you think of Aiden Hill and he's been phenomenal and it, it, you know, I don't think it's, he's been talked about enough, which to be honest, I'm sure he's fine with, he's doing his thing. He's playing incredibly well. And I'm sure he's fine with not being the front and center talk of the town. Uh, you know, like Jake Ottinger was every time he let in a goal there, it was like, where, where's, where's the Jake Ottinger? We always knew. And Aiden Hill was kind of just over there doing his thing. But I mean, there's so many parts of it. It's, it's the, the having a guy to talk to in the dressing room, having gone through, having won two Stanley cups, having been through the grind of the playoffs, the ups and the downs. And I think a huge step for Aiden Hill was, was last game because that was kind of the what I was what I was watching was you know that the game winning goal in game five wasn't a good one and everybody's kind of wondering like is this is is it going to teeter is the pressure going to come is he going to fall off and and that was what I was really watching for and all he does is go and pitch shutout in game six and so that was really good but if you have if you're in this situation where there's where there's so much pressure going into the you're in the conference finals. Going, have a chance to get in the Stanley cup finals and you have uh, your American league call up goalie on the bench, that pressure, you don't like, you don't, you don't have like a safety net. Like if you screw up, you know, there's nothing there. Like you're the guy. And if you don't do it, then nobody is there to do it. And even if he's, you know, uh quickie never plays, it's still, a, it's still something for Aiden Hill to know that you have this veteran Stanley Cup winner on the bench who's capable of coming in and winning games if something were to happen. And it's almost like I said, it's like a security blanket knowing that you have this guy there. And it doesn't sound like much, but it, but mentally, especially when the pressure ramps up like it is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing to have. Uh, De- Devin, I, I just uh, posted an Eric Stahl feature on The Athletic and, uh, you know, I was talking to him the other day and he talked last year about just he talked about what last year was like about, uh, you know, for him. I mean, I, and I, I know that you could relate just, you know, playing a game that you love and then sort of feeling you're retired, but still wanting to have that having that hunger to win. Um, you know, one, you know, I know Eric lives near you. You were both out of the game watching the probably the wild play last year. What was last year like for both of you? Um, any stories about that? And and how amazing is it for somebody his age to spend an entire year out of hockey because nobody will sign you? Then you somehow make it on a PTO, which you know is not easy for a veteran. Usually you're just a placeholder and sent on your way, but he makes a team and now he's in for him his second straight final. Well, it says a ton about Stalzi in general and how much he loves hockey and how much he cares about winning. And he's, you know, that's never been a question with, with Eric Stahl, but for somebody who's, you look at his career before this year, he's done everything. He's won everything. He's, he's captain teams. He's done everything you possibly imagine. He's got a thousand points over a thousand points. He's there. There was no reason for him to do what he did and to continue to stay in shape and to continue to skate uh, unless you you just have that drive to win and and love of the game, because if it would have been easy for anybody to hang him up, it's Stalzi. He's done, like I said, he's done everything. He's made more than enough money. He's won Stanley Cup. He's won Olympics. He's won World Championships. Like, what else is there to do other than he just loves hockey and he loves to be on the team and he loves to win? And so I think the opportunity to play with Mark was a was a big motivator uh going into this year going to florida as well but it just to me his ability to continue to to skate like he's out there skating on his own last year and staying in shape and and getting out to the olympics and leading that team and and to be able to go through an entire year and just stay dialed like that and stay on and then come back and and have this year is just it just shows you how much it means to him and and just the that his his character and personality of, of just wanting to win and wanting to play hockey. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, Devin, just lastly, I uh, just wanted to ask you about your transition to uh, being on media. I remember talking to big Dave at one of the uh, all-star games you were in and he said, he, he saw this in your future. I remember one of your best moments on Valley sports North was when you had a coughing fit. 
<laughs> I felt so bad for you. You could oh. not breathe. Um, but it yet you're live on the air too. And I thought it was like, I'm, I'm like, I'll yeah. be fine in a second. I just kept trying to grind through it too. <laughs> yeah. But you, you are, you, I mean, you look like a natural on there. I mean, you know, you've always been, as I've always told wild fans, you're always somebody that we flock to your stall just to shoot the breeze about, uh, about the sport. And, and now you get to do that on a nightly basis. Uh, how's that transition been? And is it allowed you to sort of st- feel like you're staying inside the game? Yeah, it's, it's, um, honestly, it's it's been, it was, it kind of came out of nowhere. I was watching the playoffs last year and nothing was really going on. And I was just watching the, the NHL network and, and I was like, you know, I feel like I could, I could give some good insight on there. And, and so we called them up and, and went and gave it a try. And, um, you know, it's funny it's, it, with, with as long as I played, it was, it was such an easy transition. I felt like I knew everybody there already had been into the network multiple times and done interviews with them. So it wasn't a whole bunch of people I didn't know or hadn't talked to. And, and, uh, you know, I went in and it was fun and, and decided to give it a go this year. And, and I feel like it's just, it's, it's getting easier kind of every show to, to just be comfortable with yourself and, and, you know, tell stories and, and kind of be yourself and give insights. And, and, uh, it's getting, it's getting a little easier, each time as we go here, it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. And, um, I really never thought I didn't, like I said, it kind of came out of nowhere last year. It never was something that I'm like, Oh, when I'm done playing, I'm going to go, uh, on a panel and be on the NHL network or, or do whatever. I just, it just kind of came naturally. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's been very nice to, to hear the, the nice things that people say about me being on there. And, you know, again, it comes back to how, people in minnesota how nice everybody is i mean it's like everywhere i go it's like i'm more famous now that i was on the nhl network than i was when i was playing but you know i people send me pictures of they're working out in the gym and i'm on the tv and um it's 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 been a lot of fun and it's nice to stay in the game and be able to talk to you know continue to talk to players and talk to people involved in the game and and just kind of stay involved in it it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun and guys like us too. We appreciate you come on here and, uh, yeah, and talk a little hockey with us. Otherwise, you get forgot about real quick. <laughs> I, I, I highly doubt that one. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Maybe we'll get you on uh, after the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Devin Dubnik, former NHL goaltender and now analyst on the NHL Network. Rapid fires next, so don't go anywhere. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, my favorite time of the show and yours, it's rapid fire. And it's just Roofs on I because for two reasons. One, uh, Jesse had to run out. He got told he was uh, able to speak to Bruce Cassidy. It was kind of short notice, so he had to run out. And two... Um, Russo doesn't know what rapid fire means and he always goes too long. And so what he wanted was some extra time. So he's going to steal Jesse's time. Does that work for you, Mike? Yeah. I think that we should do this each week. <laughs> you Mike hog. Um, all right, let's start with Kyle Ocposo signed a one year extension for the playoff. Hopeful Sabres 17th season in the NHL, his eighth in Buffalo He's coming off that seven year, $42 million contract. Do you see him just going? All right. We're, they're trending in the right direction. Let's try these one-year contracts if I can. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you see what's going on with guys like Eric Stahl and all that. I mean, Kyle Poso is such a good human being. Um, and by the way, a fan of the show. So when I had Tage Thompson on the Athletic Hockey Show back in uh, December, 
I was yep. interviewing. I went over to Kyle to just say hello and interview him for a story I was working on. And he goes, what are you talking for Tage for? Straight from the source? Worst seats in the house or the athletic hockey show? So he clearly wow. listened. So uh, uh, great guy. Uh, that team is absolutely on the rise. Um, that's, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, I know it's a little different when you're watching him play Arizona, but watching uh, Ras- Rasmus Dalian and Tage Thompson dominate uh, the uh, Arizona Coyotes that night in that little mullet arena. It was such a cool thing to watch from that perspective. And uh, that team is going to be good. And I can see why Kyle wants to stick around and why they want their captain to be there. Now I'm going to do this anyway, even though Russo jumped the gun because he didn't want to read our lineup, but rapid fire topic. Number two, the Penguins leadership group by all accounts. It looks like it's Kyle Dubas's job if he wants it. Um, and he's heavily considering it. Um, but it looks as though they want to fill the GM role first and then select the president of hockey operations. But it's funny because remember Kyle Dubas said, you're not going to see me pop up somewhere else. It's either Toronto or take a year off. Now it looks as though we might see him in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, look, um, I think the story that I want to see written is Sidney Crosby's involvement in this process. He's meeting with Dubas. Sources tell me that he showed up at the TNT Hotel in Raleigh and met with Ed, Ed Olchuk. It's like he's the interviewer right now. Is he, is he, you know, what's his role after his career going to be over with the, with the Pittsburgh Penguins? That's what I want to know. But he has clearly got an incredible influence in this uh, decision for both GM, probably eventually who's going to be the coach, uh, probably yeah. who his line mates are going to be. I mean, this is, this is, you know, Sidney Crosby, the equity that he has in this organization being so important that he is part of this process and um so i i just am going to be really interested to see what happens but it does feel like dubis is going there but i will say this elliot friedman who as we know does not throw stuff out there um unless he knows it um has been very very um vocal in the last 24 hours that is not a sure thing that there are other teams involved talking to dubis as well um and you know you know what is the situation there and remember if let's let's just say edzo does go to pittsburgh do we really think that he's going to be the president of hockey ops or how is that structure going to be if Dubas was there after working with Shanahan and probably not wanting somebody over him? The other thing with Fenway Sports Group is if you look at all their teams that they own, they have they, they structure things in weird with weird titles. And so would it be shocking if somebody here is like called the chief hockey officer or something like that? It's just going to be really interesting to see at the end of the day here what the hierarchy is going to be in Pittsburgh, and then what the trickle-down effect is with Mike Sullivan and, and everything. Given what has trickled out since Kyle Dubas parted ways with the Leafs, he doesn't strike me as somebody who wants to share this role in his next job. He, yes. to, to quote Brian Burke, a Brian Burke line, both hands on the wheel are going to be mine. You know what I mean? Uh, like, it does it like, he, so I don't know if in that old check sort of situation just looks eerily like, oh, I don't know, a Brendan Shanahan situation. You know what I mean? I think he wants complete control. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, And finally, rapid fire topic number four, coaching vacancies. There are four of them. Anaheim, Calgary, Columbus, and the New York Rangers. Gerard Gallant's name just keeps getting thrown around out there. Um, What are you seeing in your crystal ball as far as these four teams and maybe with Gallant? I think Gallant makes all the sense in the world for Calgary, but I do hear that they have a very long list and are sort of still at the very beginning of that list. Um, But Gallant makes all the sense in the world for Calgary uh, for one big reason, and that's Jonathan Huberto. They got to get somebody that's going to mesh with that guy. They made an incredible long-term commitment to that guy before he even stepped foot on the ice. He really could have been a Hart Trophy contender last year, and he goes there and really I don't want to say flop this year, but clearly didn't mesh with Daryl Sutter or what's going on. So he makes yeah. all the sense in the world there. And um, we had Doug McLean on our show last week, Rob, and he made it very clear that, you know, Gerard Glant uh, sometimes might not be the most politically um, political person when it comes to dealing with the GM and owners. And maybe that's why he sort of wears out his welcome in places where he has done an incredible job like he did with the Rangers in Florida and other places like that. But who cannot get along with Craig Conroy, right? <laughs> um, it, you know, I, I just think that Gallant makes all the sense in the world there. And in terms of the other ones, I mean, Anaheim and Columbus, 
Um, it's very strange. I mean, they are taking their time. They're talking to a ton of people. Um, you know, Patrick Waugh is clearly in the mix in Columbus in some capacity. And now it'll be interesting what happens with John Hines. Now he's on the market. You know, do the Rangers suddenly veer off from Peter Laviolette and talk to Hines? There's a history there with, with uh, Chris Drury and John Hines. So it'll be really fascinating what happens, uh, uh, Rob. It's almost like trade deadline day, too, where one domino falls and then you'll yep. see two or three teams just just quickly trying to because you start losing your first and second choice then then you're you find yourself and, in a bind. and to your point that's why spencer and andrew Burnett. that's why they got jobs right away because both brian mcclellan and barry trotz knew that both those guys were coveted by other teams or at least talking to other teams like calgary and columbus and and um and anaheim russo i know what you're working on you mentioned it earlier you're busy thanks for another great show look forward to reading everything you uh yeah. I'm going to be doing for the Stanley Cup. Do you have a prediction yeah. for the final, by the way? Um, I picked uh, oh, Vegas and six. Did you say and Vegas six. and six, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Vegas, Vegas and, and six, six is my prediction. But I will say this team, uh, this Florida team, like I'm doing this huge feature on Brandon Montour for Friday. It is such a fascinating story. And just I got all this like puck tracking analytics from the league on how his his, his shooting uh, you know, speeds and his, his bursts of speed in terms of skating and the distance he skated. Um, and he is a fast. What a great interview. Like one of these days when this Stanley Cup uh, run is over, Jeff Domet, we got to get Brandon Montour on the show. Like he was one of my favorite interviews of somebody that I haven't ever talked to uh, when I sat down with him the other day in Florida. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing that and looking forward to you guys jumping on our YouTube channel. If you want to see our ugly mugs, youtube.com slash the athletic hockey show. And you can leave comments and tell us how fantastic we all are the athletic hockey show continues thursday with ian mendez and down goes brown want to say a big thanks to paul maurice and devin dubna for coming on the show for russo and jesse i'm piso we'll see you next week